Thank you very much, Claire. It's uh, great to be in Burlington once again. This is not uh, the first time I've been here, and uh, not the last, because I think you've earmarked me for your church weekend in 2007, which at the moment seems a long way off. When you book something a year ahead, it seems a long way away, and then all of a sudden, uh, before you can uh, think about it, it's here. The first thing I want to say this morning is congratulations on completing 40 Days of Purpose. And I really do mean congratulations, because it is a great deal of hard work. I crept into your worship service last Sunday morning, and I sat up in the balcony, and I heard what Simon said, and this is what he said. These six weeks have been more fruitful in the life of our church than I've ever known since coming here 11 years ago. We've seen more people connected to small groups than we've ever had in our church, More people are asking for baptism in this short period than I've ever known. People are asking how they can get involved in playing their part in seeing the church become all that God wants her to be. Our worship services have reached a new level of life and excitement in God's Spirit. That's incredible. That really is a remarkable story. And when I heard Simon say those words last Sunday morning, I thought, we just need to give praise and glory and honour to God for all that he has done. And I wondered as I was coming here this morning, I thought, you know, it is the Sunday after your celebration Sunday, do you really want to hear about 40 Days of Purpose again? You might by now be saying, oh no, not again, because I'm sure that you've been hearing about it over and over and over again, not only during the 40 days itself, but also in the period that leads up to it. Because as I said a few moments ago, it is hard work. It is hard work. It's been for you an investment of time and energy and resources. And so the question that every church asks at this point is, what's next? What's next? And usually our answer is, take a break, (laughs) have a rest. It has been probably an exhausting period of time. But it's a real question that came up a few years ago and nobody had ever really thought about what would follow on after 40 days of purpose. And uh, so this question came up from so many churches. They had reached a certain level of uh, spiritual health and vitality and there was a sense of unity and purpose, and there was a momentum about the church, and people were saying, well, where do we go from here? It's been hard work, but it's been great. We need a rest, but we don't want to lose this momentum. What's next, and how do we keep up the momentum? Well, before I answer that question this morning, or at least uh, share a few uh, answers to that question, I want to tell you a little bit more about that wider picture so that you can understand that what's been happening here is something which is part of what God is doing throughout the whole world. I am totally convinced that this whole thing is a movement of the Spirit of God in the 21st century. You will recall that back in the previous century, in the 20th century, we were familiar with names like Louis Palau and Billy Graham, and other well-known evangelists. And it seems to me that in the 21st century, God is now going to work through local churches. 
And this is the thing that I find so interesting and and so exciting. This is a church-to-church movement. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches across the world that can do more than any government or any secular authority could ever possibly do in terms of feeding the hungry and caring for the sick and addressing the needs of the poor. There are things that only the church of Jesus Christ can deliver. Governments can pass laws and um, they, they can legislate, but they don't have the delivery system. The church has the biggest and best and most efficient delivery system to care for the sick and address the needs of the poor and educate people and lift them to a new standard of living. The church has the best and the most efficient means uh, and the most efficient delivery system than anyone else in the world. So this is a movement, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just an American movement. In fact, it's not an American movement at all now. It's global. It's global. Rick Warren no longer has his own way in everything that's done. There are ideas and there are thoughts and there are inspirations and there are insights now being fed into this movement from so many different countries and cultures around the globe. When God takes a book like The Purpose Driven Life and uses it as he has used it, nearly 30 million copies in over 25 languages, with another 50 languages on the way. And let me give you an example of that. I brought a few along with me. Um, I think I've got this correct. Here it is in Chinese. And the incredible thing here is that the Chinese government have officially allowed this book to be published and distributed in China. We know there's about 50 million Christians in China, and uh, this book is going into uh, the hands of so many of those Chinese believers, but also Chinese people across the world. There it is in Chinese, and um, we've got it here, I have it here in Russian, that's what it looks like in Russian, just to impress you, you see, about how God is using this book. We have it in French. Uh, In French, it actually means one passion uh, for the most important destiny. Because as the book is translated, of course, uh, people translate it into their own culture. In fact, people in other languages have an advantage over us who speak English because they can translate it and culturize it at the same time. In German, it's called Life with a Vision. And uh, it's uh, here in Korean... And these are just a few of the languages, and it's in all kinds of languages which you will find in the uh, continent of India. Now, when God does something like this, we need to take notice, and we need to ask ourselves, what is God doing? What is God doing now in this? Is this really a movement of the Holy Spirit? I'm convinced that it is. And should I be involved? Well, I've decided to be involved And I hope that you will, through your own church, be involved as well. 
But why is God using this book so effectively? Because this movement is not about a book. It is about the book, the Bible. Last week, the Archbishop of Canterbury defended the authority and integrity of the Bible. It is not about a man, Rick Warren. It is about the man, Jesus Christ. It is not about a message, the purpose-driven message. It is about the message, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came preaching. You will recall those words from Mark 1.14. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So as we said earlier, you have been one of 200 churches, over 200 churches this Lent and Easter. Over a thousand uh, have completed this in the UK and more want to do it. A lot are signing up to do it, to do it this coming autumn and even next Lent. And there have been tens of thousands of churches worldwide. And as I worshipped with you here last Sunday, I went away and I, I said to myself, this is a model church. You have been a model church. I believe you are a model church for other churches wanting to run 40 days of purpose. Do you remember these words? We read them a few moments ago from 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, where Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote to the Christians in that church and said, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it went on to say, uh, in verses 6 and 7, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. There is nothing wrong with the church becoming a model for other churches. And we need model churches. Churches that model, not just 40 days of purpose, but churches which model what that's all about. Spiritual health. A united fellowship. A church with a vision for making disciples and understanding what a disciple is. A church that is prepared to pay the price to connect with the community. And as I've watched Burlington Baptist Church over the years, I've seen you change and I've seen you grow. And it seemed that last Sunday, Easter Sunday, you reached a new high where you now can become an encouragement to other churches and model to other churches. So what happens now? What next? What is the next step? Well, we call this step, as you've already heard, Day 41. Day 41 came about because so many churches said, where do we go from here? And so a book uh, was presented called Day 41. And uh, you're 
pastor will have a copy of this book. In fact, I'll probably leave this one behind. Now, day 41 is not a 24-hour day. Day 41 can last a whole year. It can last even three years. It's however long it takes for the church to build on what God has done during 40 days of purpose. It's a 64-page document, and it contains a recommended 12-month pathway for the church. So there's no way I can unfold all of that uh, for us this morning. But it answers such questions as, what's next for the pastor? What's next for the leadership? What's next for the small groups? What's next for individuals, for every member of the church? And then what's next for the whole church together? So there's a wealth of material there. And as I say, there isn't time for me to answer all those questions this morning, but I want to reassure you that 40 days of purpose in Burlingham Baptist Church is not over. This is not the the end of something. 40 days of purpose is just the beginning the beginning of a far greater and more important journey, if you are willing to follow it through. And when you have recovered from all that has happened, and as I said earlier, you probably need a break and you probably need a rest, and I'm delighted to hear that Claire has had a few days off this week and Simon is off for a while, and um, those of you who worked so hard and worked in a voluntary way to make 40 days of purpose so effective in this church, you need a break. But when you have recovered from all that has happened, there are things that God wants you to do next. You see, when God blesses a church like this, when he sees your commitment, when he sees that you're prepared to make the effort, when he sees that you're prepared to be real disciples disciplined followers of Jesus Christ, when he sees that you're prepared to commit your time and your energy and your resources in a sacrificial way, when God blesses a church like this, there are two appropriate responses. And the first is gratitude and humility. God, we're so grateful for what you've done. We're so grateful for stirring us up in this way. We're so grateful for those whose faith has been deepened and strengthened. We're so grateful for those who have come back to the church who wandered away. We're so grateful for those who have been baptized. We heard uh, some testimonies and stories last week. We're so grateful for those who now want to be baptized. We're so grateful for that sense of unity. And we humble ourselves before you. And we say to you, Lord, this is your church. And we are your people. And we want to do things your way. And so the next response is trust. Trust. God, lead us on from here. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you to help us build a great church. 
The text that you've got up here, I think, is highly significant. To him who is able to do immeasurably more, and probably you've had either Claire or Simon or someone else preach on this, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. In other words, you can bring your biggest dream of what this church could be before God. And don't be afraid to be really creative and dream and think up the biggest vision possible. And what that text is saying is, God is saying, I can outdo that dream. I can outdo that vision. I can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. And it's possible through His power that is at work where within us. Incredible. To Him be glory in the church. Don't be afraid to continue your journey of spiritual and numerical growth. You know, we need some really great, spiritually healthy, growing churches in this country to make a difference to our nation. I sometimes say to churches, just imagine what it would be like if you were twice the size. If you have a 250 members, just imagine what it would be like to have 500 members. And I say to a church that has 500 members, just think what it would be like if you had 1,000 members and begin to plan that way now. You know, when I was a child, I can remember my mother always bought clothes for me that were far too big. Um, You know, sleeves which just completely swallowed up your hands and trousers that swallowed up your feet. And I used to moan and complain, and she said, don't worry, you'll grow into them, you'll grow into them. And sure enough, I did. And I think, you know, that can be an illustration of what happens in our churches. We have this big vision. Lord, let's plan for being double the size, or for being treble the size, so that when you have another birthday celebration, celebrating an anniversary in your church, you will literally be looking for thousands and thousands of cups. You know, all growth is um, demanding and sacrificial. And what it really means is saying, Lord, we're willing to take on more responsibility. We're willing to see and try and meet the needs of more people. We're willing to try and make a difference in this community, and not everybody will like that. But Lord, we're willing to take on this responsibility. And we're willing to take on whatever it takes, the effort, the commitment, financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it takes, Lord, we want this church to be a church that makes a difference to our community and to the lives of many people. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he had several goals in mind. First, he wanted to encourage the spiritual health of the whole church. And that's what 40 Days of Purpose is about, and I would like to reinforce that with you this morning. Secondly, he wanted to encourage the individual members to grow in personal, spiritual maturity and Christian conduct. And I hope that 40 Days of Purpose has spurred you on to that. And then Paul also highlighted the importance of fellowship, discipleship, and mission. Three of those five purposes identified in uh, this movement. And after all that had happened to them, Paul wanted these Christians to sustain long-term spiritual health. 
40 days of purpose is not over. It is the beginning. It is the first step of long-term spiritual health. This is our goal for churches that have been through 40 days of purpose. You know, in 1 Thessalonians again, in chapter 5 and verse 12 onwards, just let me read you these words as Paul uh, brings this first letter to the Thessalonians to a conclusion. He really sums up what he wants for them. He starts out by saying, we thank God for you. We, we mention you in our prayers. You've now become a model to other people, and we want you to continue. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you. And I hope that you do that. That's a very practical thing to do, to respect those who work hard among you. And you know who those people are, and they're not all upfront people. A lot of those are people who work behind the scenes, who pray hard, who give generously, who are ready to do when whatever's asked of them. Respect those who work hard among you, those who are over you in the Lord, your leaders. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. He says, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. There are people who are lazy in the church of Jesus Christ. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. And there are those among us who are timid. Help the weak. There are some who are struggling with personal problems at this time and difficulty. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Great sense of joy uh, as you come into this place to worship God. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I remember so often when I was pastor at Frinton Free Church, you know, a church member would come in and they would say, sit down in, in my study and they'd say, I would like to know God's will for my life. And I was always saying to them in a very gentle and hopefully sensitive and pastoral way, have you read your Bible recently? Because if you read your Bible, you will find that 80% of God's will for your life is written right there in the pages of the Bible. And if you will only take on board that 80% that God's already told you about in his word, you'll find the other 20%. He'll make that known to you. And you'll be uh, 100% uh, what God wants you to be. And even just in a few verses like this, Paul lists all of those practical points and ends up by saying in verse, six, uh, verse um, 18, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you want to know what God's will for your life is, here it is. 80% of it is here in the Scriptures. In verse 19, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. When God has moved mightily uh, in a church's life, we have to be very sensitive to the fact that there are those, and we may be among them ourselves, that the devil will try to use to put out the Spirit's fire. I remember Dr. R.T. Kendall, who was a minister for some years at Westminster Chapel in London, and he preached a sermon on how in every church there are people who are against 
what God seems to uh, be wanting to do. And he said, you know, they seem to object to everything. They want to know how much everything's going to cost. They want to know who's going to do it. He said they, they're often complaining and, and they're often negative and everybody's saying, yeah, amen, amen, all we know about those people. And then he said, have you ever thought it just might be you? <laughs> because we don't always recognize these things in ourselves. So let's be alert. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not preach trof- prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. And then he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one thing I want to say to you this morning, as I I kind of sum up, is this. Pass it on. Coming back to that principle of you being a model church. What has happened in your life individually, and what has happened in your church, God now wants you to pass that on. You only keep, we only keep what we give away. You will not retain the things you've learned over these past 40 days unless you are prepared to pass them on. As you pass them on, the paradox is you you keep them, you have a firmer hold on them. God doesn't want you to be a reservoir, he wants you to be a channel. And there's almost nothing that God won't do for the person that says, God, I'm a channel. Make me a channel of your peace. Make me a channel of your blessing. Use me to bless the lives of other people. And you can pass on to other people what God has done in your life and what God is doing in the lives of other people. Share a truth with somebody. Write it in a letter. Send an email. Give them a book. Give them a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. Bring them to church because you have greater confidence than ever to bring people to a healthy church. Whatever you do, pass it on because as you pass it on, you'll keep growing. Now, from an organizational point of view, it may be that as a church you will decide, well, maybe in a year's time we'll do something like 40 days of community, which is the same format as 40 days of purpose. But the idea is, whereas 40 days of purpose was seeking to answer the question, what on earth am I here for? 40 days of community seeks to answer the question, what on earth are we here for? Together. Let's do things together. It it is a movement to mobilize the church out into the community. And of course, it can use all sorts of other sources um, that you get from places like the Scripture Union, the Evangelical Alliance. Um, All all kinds of resources can, can come in to that framework and into that strategy. But whatever organizational or administrative decision you may make concerning where the church goes next, it is important to remember that what you have experienced needs to be passed on if it is going to be retained. In other words, as Paul says, as he writes to the Thessalonians, keep going. Now you've started, don't give up, keep going. 
You know, if you take a sponge and put it in a bucket of water, a sponge can only absorb a certain amount of water. And and, and when you lift it out, that's all the water it can contain. And it's an illustration sometimes of the fact that you and I can only absorb a certain amount of knowledge and information. The way a sponge is going to take on more water from the bucket, the only way it's going to happen is if you wring that sponge out and then put it back in the water. One of the sad things to me is, perhaps over the last 10, 20 years, I have seen some Christians who are a bit like a sponge. They've absorbed so much knowledge and information. They can't absorb any more. And the only way that we will absorb any more is to be wrung out. In other words, to apply, to begin to use what we've been taught over the years. And so I say to you this morning, you need a church that will wring you out. And my guess is if you become a member or if you are a member of Burlington Baptist Church, you belong to a church that is going to wring you out. But don't moan about it. Don't complain about it. When your leaders come to you and say, right, this is the next thing we're going to do. We need help here. We need help there. Uh, We need more commitment financially. We need more commitment spiritually. We need more commitment practically. Go for it. Go for it. Let the church wring you out, because only as the sponge is wrung out can it take in more water. And only as you and I are wrung out can we take in more of what God wants us to have. For a few years now, I've carried a little laminated card in my pocket And I want to read the words on this card to you. And I brought a few of these cards with me because if somebody would like a copy of the card to keep in their own pocket, um, then you ask me at the end of the service and you can have one. It simply says this, and I found this to be so true. God has the resources to help you that you have not even considered. There are thousands of persons with all sorts of talents, skills and concerns and contacts that God can bring into your life in order to fulfill his plan. So open your eyes and see the faces of people around you. Open your ears to hear what they are saying. Today, tomorrow, next week, you'll meet someone who is just the person you need. That right person will come along at just the right time and fulfill the thing that you need, and you will marvel knowing that God arranged it so beautifully. Great people are ready to help me at the right time, in the right way. People I don't even know yet. I promise I will never give up because I don't have the help. But I will trust God to provide the help that I need. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him to help you do it. And he will. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, God looks throughout the whole earth for those whose hearts are truly committed to him so that he might come alongside them and strengthen them. Are you one of those people? I hope that you are. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for 
the way in which you have blessed this church, not just in the past 40 days, but over 150 years. For those to whom you gave the vision to plant this church. For those who have served this church so faithfully across all those years. Thousands of people. Father, for all that you have done in our own hearts and in our own lives ever since the day we were born, and the longer we live, the more we realize how you've always been there for us. And thank you for these recent days. May we not see it as something that's over, but may we see it as the first step in an even more exciting and greater journey in our own individual hearts and lives. Lord, you are doing mighty things in the, in the world today, in spite of everything that we read in our newspapers. You are stirring your people up. You are bringing people to yourself. You are building your church as you promised you would. Lord, help each one of us to say simply this morning, I want to be a part of this. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing in the world today. I want to be in on it. Until that day when I stand before you and Hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord and let the eternal party begin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.